This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Hey there. On today's episode of Startup Renegades, I'm going to introduce you to Saskia Sarosa. She is the founder of Fresh Bellies, a kid snack brand distributed nationwide by major retailers like Whole Foods. Now, that's not exactly where Saskia got her start. She didn't have any experience with this kind of thing at all. She was a VP of marketing for the NBA. How cool is that? Now, she's originally from Ecuador. And while she currently resides in New York, those flavors were really important to her and feeding her daughters high quality products that were not filled with sodium was also really important to her. So she went out and she built the kind of company that was going to deliver just the kind of thing that she wanted her kids to eat. Now, this company has won awards. She's been able to pitch to Shark Tank and even graduated from the Chobani Incubator. This company has a fabulous product and it's up and growing and hearing about the sacrifices that Saskia had to make in her own life to build a company that matched her values is truly inspiring. And of course, there's going to be a little bit of marketing and growth strategy in there along the way. So let's dive right in and listen to Saskia's story and how and why she founded Fresh Bellies. Hey, Saskia, welcome to the show. Hi, Shauna. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love your brand. I'm a mom of four, so stuff like this gets me excited, even though they are pretty big now, or they're big to me at least. But let's get a feel for where your journey began. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I think I I always used to say I wanted to be a lawyer when I was little. I don't know where that came from. It was not my upbringing. My dad, you know, was a banana farmer and agricultural entrepreneur, and my mom was an artist. So somewhere along the way, I thought a lawyer was a really good career to have. (laughs) And then I ended up not studying that and not actually pursuing that. What did you study? What were you going to do? I went to school for marketing. Mm -hmm. So I started marketing and communications. And then eventually after college, built a career in marketing, first starting on the agency side and then eventually moving over to what I thought was my dream job Mm -hmm. at the National Basketball Association. It does sound like a pretty cool job. I'll give you that. Yeah, it was fun. It was absolutely fun. Did you feel like you needed a change? Were you looking for something different? Or did you just have this big idea that you had to pursue? I did not feel like I needed a change. It was so unexpected. I really thought I was going to retire at the NBA. I was going to be there forever. I did not want another job. Mm. I had risen through the ranks. I was at that point VP of marketing and thought I had a good future there. Plus, I really enjoyed the people and what I was doing. And the idea of this business really started percolating in my head when I had my first daughter. And then I took maternity leave, sort of sat with it. But I was like, you know, 
who leaves their corporate job and a salary to, <laughs> to start a business? <laughs> and then I went back to work, got pregnant again with my second one. And I took six months maternity leave with her when she was born. And that's when it all sort of changed. You know, my priorities were totally different. I felt like I had these giant values and mission that I wanted to pursue that I couldn't fulfill in a corporate job. Mm -hmm. And I came back from my maternity leave and gave my resignation because I felt so strongly that this was just something I had to follow. Man, you are speaking my language with four kids (laughs) of my own. I know that things just change. (laughs) They just fundamentally change when you become a parent. So tell me about the big idea. What is it that you were seeing? What problem needed to be solved? Growing up in Ecuador, so I was born and raised in South America and moved to the U.S. when I was 17 to go to college. And so I grew up around food very di- and flavors very differently than I was experiencing here as a young adult. And so I was already aware that there weren't really a lot of options in snacking, for example. It was run-of-the-mill, either ranch, barbecue, and cheddar. <laughs> you know, everything was those three flavors in different formats. But then when I had kids, I became hyper aware of not just, you know, ordinary flavors, but just like the high sugar, high sodium content that existed, you know, that sort of permeated grocery shelves. Right. And I wanted to change that because I wanted my daughters to have the same experience around flavors that I did. And I just couldn't find anything that exposed them to that. And then I thought, why isn't everyone exposed to these types of flavors? Like there's better food out there than what we're currently offering. That was my sort of aha moment. And what I wanted to solve is, you know, people should be eating differently. They not just healthier, but also more flavors. And I decided to create a product that didn't exist in the market or that I couldn't find in the market. So what did you do? Because it sounds like for your little ones, you could just start making food at home the way that you wanted it. But you saw this as something bigger that you needed to bring in the world. How did you go about that? Yeah, so I I did start making a lot of this food, you know, in puree formats at first at home. And then when I decided, you know, this could be a business, I partnered with a friend who's an executive chef to really formulate these into something that could be sold, you know, safely, which was at farmers markets at first, where that was really our first venture into meeting customers and selling, you know, putting this product out there. Can I just stop you for a second? I can't tell you how much I love to hear that. I've had quite a few founders on the podcast who have said, you know, my friends were my first customers, or I literally started selling this at a farmer's market. And farmer's market doesn't give me like high growth startup vibes, like ready to raise your series A. So it speaks to like the steps that you have to take in the Mm -hmm. beginning and the discovery process, and just the hustle that goes into it in the beginning. And I love hearing all of these stories of these really powerful startups that got a big part of their start by selling to customers one-on-one in farmer's markets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because what you hear about entrepreneurship and the startup world from the outside is very different than what you experience once you're in it. Yeah. And I think you quickly, once you decide, well, I'm starting a business and here we go, you realize that it is really one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are no shortcuts you know, there's no easy way. And you really do have to take it one step at a time. And sometimes those steps are really little. And sometimes those steps are strides, but it is really like one 
step at a time type of process because there's so much that you need to learn as you're building this thing that just doesn't come with skipping a few steps. Yeah. And, you know, and then the other thing is like, it's not a linear path either, right? No. So we started selling purees at farmer's markets. We don't even have purees today, right? <laughs> so the evolution of the business is totally different, but all of that happened because we were able to have these experiences and learn and quickly adapt and then go back and try it again. And I think part of being an entrepreneur is being flexible, knowing that it's just not this rigid thing and there, there's going to be a ton of things being thrown your way and you have to be ready to react. And then also acknowledging that maybe what you thought it would be is not what it ends up being. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So many things, so many powerful things that you shared there. And I want to know what happened next. So you're selling at farmer's markets. And how do you go from small business owner to startup founder? Yeah. So we started selling at at farmer's markets. I mean, I I had my six and a half month old baby and my two-year-old toddler in tow (laughs) setting up (laughs) tents, which was quite the experience. I realized pretty quickly, you know, maybe a month into selling at farmer's markets that I wanted to take this national. I didn't just want this to be a local business. I really wanted to expose families everywhere to this. And I thought mm-hmm. it could, this big idea, not a local hobby business or, or something that I, I wanted to run myself. I didn't know the first thing about manufacturing food at scale. That's when I started sort of tapping into my network and trying to connect with people who had done this before, people who knew about food manufacturing and co-packing and financial expert who knew about cost analysis. And, you know, I sort of started to build from this team of advisors and people who joined the business early on that could help me build my vision. And I hired for my weaknesses. I knew what I knew and I knew what I didn't know. And I needed people to, to, to help me along the way. You said hired, which is a really strong word, I think. Were you making enough money at the farmer's markets where you oh, could start hiring a team? No. Well, you know, when you're a startup, your equity is cash, right? Mm-hmm. And it's got, it's got value. And so a lot of it is convincing people to believe in your dream yeah, and realizing or believing that it can be as big as you think it can be. So any tips for making people believe in your dream before you're profitable? I mean, I think you have to believe in it, right? I, I, I really do think that if you truly believe in it, you know, with every inch of your body, people will believe in it too. I think when you doubt yourself and when you're not sure, that sort of comes across and people feel that Mm. and they can read that. I think as long as you see it, right? Like you you can see it and you can talk about it and you can show people through your vision what this thing can be, people will gravitate to that. And it's not everyone, but you don't want everyone. You want the right people. And so I think it really is a matter of believing in yourself and what you're building and people will join. Hey, Chana here. I want to take a quick break from this amazing episode to send a free resource your way. Starting up is hard. Whether you're bootstrapping or you've got some funding behind you, you don't always know exactly where to start. I want to fix that. You head to startuprenegades.com right now. You can claim your free business benchmark blueprint. That's a mouthful. It's going to help you set a plan in place so you can create your foundation for growth. And it's free, so why not? Head to startuprenegades.com right now and grab yours.
Yeah. And that's really important. You don't want everyone. (laughs) You absolutely don't. Yeah. No, these first few people that join the business early on are critical, right? Like they're the difference between the business taking off or not happening at all. Yeah. And also, by the way, you know, equity is currency, but you're giving shares to people you don't, you might not know that well. And so Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that these people you're going to be married to for quite some time are the people you want to be married to for that long, (laughs) you know, or or you want to be in with for the long haul. Yeah, that's really important. Thank you for sharing that. So now you've got what I assume is a stellar team and you are ready to go with this. You've got your first couple of customers from the farmer's market. Now you're going into this with the startup mindset. So what's the plan? Are you trying to scale, get some traction? Are you fundraising? What happens next? Yeah. So the first thing for us was really trying our product that we were selling at farmer's markets was frozen and distributing frozen purees or baby food is an extremely difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's also a really expensive distribution model. So we first had to transition from frozen to refrigerated, which took a lot of reformulation and working with the right people to get it going and the you know new packaging. And once we had that, it was just the person who currently leads our business development and I mm-hmm. knocking on retailers' doors and saying, I will never forget, I had these cups in my daughter's preschool lunch bag. (laughs) And I was like, we have this really good idea. And will you give us five minutes to listen to us? That's what we were doing. We were going to, you know, we picked a handful of stores and we're like, we'll come out to see you. We want you to try it. It's fantastic. You're going to fall in love with it. And once we got a couple of stores to bite, we were off to the races and it was, all right, we're going to produce enough product to sell it to them and to make Mm -hmm. sure that it gets to the shelves. And now we need to get a distributor to get it from point A to point B. And we just started building sort of that infrastructure to get that product to the stores that were buying it. We realized pretty quickly that even refrigeration was not a space we wanted to play in. Okay. So that's part of what I was talking before. You know, you sort of have to be okay and you have to be open to listening to the feedback along the way. So it was an extremely expensive business model. At that point, we were working with the money that I had put into the business just from my own savings and 401k. And we thought, you know, this is probably not a sustainable business model. Mm -hmm. Simultaneous to that, we had launched our toddler snacks, which exploded immediately. They were shelf stable. They were crunchy, freeze-dried vegetable and fruit snacks that went from like zero to 2000 stores in under a year. Mm. And so seeing the success, which had the same mission in mind, right? It's like these flavorful products are seasoned with herbs and spices that are commonly found in Latin American kitchens. So we saw the success of that. We saw how much better of a distribution model and how much more profitable it was and that there was a ton of white space there. So we decided to discontinue our purees and focus solely on snacks. And wow. so that's around the time when we were raising capital. We brought in investors. You know, We could show that there was good traction and proof of concept and you know, th- those things started coming together. That's really powerful, though. I mean, just seeing what is happening and you changed a lot fundamentally what you were making at that point at the same time that you were raising. It just kind of speaks to you as an entrepreneur and in your strengths as a founder. So as you're getting this going, you're raising, what growth strategies did you find that were particularly effective? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, the first was having the right salesperson in place was critical. Jeff and I, who were doing this on our own at the time, we did not know the first thing about the entire sort of sales network. And, And we didn't really have a good network of buyers. And we didn't know, you know, promotional calendars and all these technical things right. that had to happen for the product to succeed at, on the shelf. Yeah. That was the first thing we did was hire a salesperson that came from this space that had worked at, at startups before, had been successful, and just could hit the ground running and knew exactly what she was doing and how to get it done. So that's what we did. We hired that. She, she was actually our first hire and she's still with the business today. And so once we did that, then the focus turned to well, do we need to run promotions to generate trial? Do we need to do couponing? Do we need to do ads on Google? You know, how mm-hmm. do we get people to discover the product and try it? Because we know if they try it, they're going to buy it again. So a lot of our focus went towards supporting the product on the shelf and making sure people could find us so that we were moving, moving velocities were good. Yeah. And it sounds like you tested a a couple of things, which is always smart. You want to be testing when it comes to marketing and growth. Did you find one in particular that was more powerful because of your audience or what did you learn through that process? Yeah, we absolutely find that anything you do in store has a much better ROI than, you know, than things that you do sort of to support outside. Mm hmm. Once we started looking at the metrics and what return on investment we were getting on our different tactics, Mm -hmm. we decided to put, for the last two years, we've put everything to shelf. So it's the promotions, or if there's a baby event, or the stores are doing giveaways and a goodie bag, those types of things that happen at the store level where people are shopping is where we spend our dollars. It works great, and it gives us the return that we're looking for. And then I think the other that's more of a newer technology, I mean, it wasn't around when we started the business, but now is how people shop, something like Instacart, you know, that's a great Mm -hmm. way to drive velocities and awareness as well. And it's proven to do really well for our business, but that's newer, you know, relatively newer. Yeah. And that's interesting to me because you have to be really aware of what is new and what's happening. And not all of the strategies are going to land for sure. But I remember a time when a lot of us thought that TikTok was crazy, right? Or maybe not Instagram as like the best example, but you know, there was always a time where we thought that that one strategy was crazy and it wasn't a good way to to spend your marketing dollars or it was going to be a fad. And you actually have to be testing these things and trying these things because it could just be the next wave, the next piece of technology that really connects you to your customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, social media is a great example. You know, it used to be that everyone was, I mean, it still happens, was advertising on social media to generate Mm -hmm. awareness about especially consumer products and beauty products. But that's become a really expensive proposition. Yeah. And unless you're direct to consumer, it's really hard to tie results back to in-store sales. It is a balance and it is about understanding where are you getting the most bang for your buck and where do you want to put your dollars? Especially when you have you know, you don't have an unlimited amount of dollars to go around. Which is basically the startup story, right? Like nobody has an unlimited amount of dollars. Like if you have any dollars, then you're kind of already ahead of the game. Exactly. Exactly. So what is going on with Fresh Bellies today? Today, we are entirely a snack company. 
we have our toddler snacks, which is still our hero product. It's, you know, in over 4,500 stores today. We have six flavors there. And then last year, based on the success of toddler snacks, we launched a preschool line, which is a line of vegetable puffs that the base is an ancient whole grain. And that's in about 2,000 stores today. And then what happened is, as we looked at what children were eating as they got older and then into adult snacks, we realized there was like a, the options really do get worse. So for kids, you're talking about a lot of sugars or fruit sugars, added sugars. But then in the adult snacks, there's a ton of salt. And it's more than what's recommended in your dietary intake in a bite of a snack. And then there's a ton of preservatives and artificial flavors in there. We thought, gosh, you know what? Adults should be eating good food too. There's an opportunity here to really expose them to all these global flavors in a snack that's good for you. So we launched what we call family snack line earlier this year, and that started rolling out in a couple hundred stores. But you know, our goal is to get that into stores nationwide, just like our other lines. That is amazing. Thank you. So I have to ask you the the big, the most important question, what does being a startup renegade mean to you? Startup renegade, I think means giving up everything to live by your values mm. and follow your dream. But I really do feel like it's all about values, right? You, you're taking a, a sharp turn <laughs> in the opposite direction. And I think that can only be driven by a pull towards your values. I love that. Beautifully put. Saskia, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online? Absolutely. At Fresh Bellies, F-R-E-S-H-B-E-L-L-I-E-S.com. And we ship nationwide free shipping. I love that. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade. Oh, 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 oh,